Hello, I'm Elizabeth Errington, and this is Energy Perspectives. In this podcast, we reflect on gender diversity in energy, both within academia and in practice, highlighting the experiences of women in energy and the challenges ahead. We begin with Sharon Darcy from the environmental think tank Sustainability First. I really do believe that having sort of what you call cognitive diversity, so people with different ways of thinking around the table can help drive innovation. And gender is just one of the markers or one of the dimensions of that. Race and all sorts of things and culture are important as well and personal backgrounds. But if you haven't even got women around the table and coming forward with new ideas, I think the scope for innovation is likely to be reduced. I think diversity, whether it's gender diversity or other types of diversity, is a good thing anyway. The energy sector and the water sector clearly need to be resilient. And diversity is one of the key drivers of resilience. If you put all your eggs in one basket, if you do everything the same, you will get risks of failure, single point failure, groupthink, etc. So I think diversity can deliver real benefits. I really saw the issue of women in energy really came to the fore with me um, in terms of innovation when I was a member of the expert panel, which was advising Ofgem on its low-carbon network fund um, funding stream. So this was a 500 million funding stream for the low, to help facilitate low-carbon transition. So a lot of money was on the table. It was designed to really think about how network companies change their practices to facilitate low carbon. When the panel was first set up, six years ago I think now, the bids that were coming forward were fronted by all male teams. I think in more or less the first and second year, maybe out of 30 people that came forward with these innovative, game-changing ideas, out of 30-odd people, maybe two, three at the most were women. And it made me think, well, if you just involve the same group of people um, in the same way, how likely are you to get innovation? And I'm not saying that just having women around the table is important. These groups were nearly all white men um, coming with their ideas. So we actually did say as an expert panel in some of the feedback that we gave to the industry, it would be a good idea to include a more diverse group of people in your project preparation and in your bids. Following Sharon's reflection on one area in the energy regulator Ofgem, I asked their head of retail markets, Meghna Tawari, about her experience of gender diversity at the regulator and in the energy sector more generally. I feel that... um... One of the biggest challenges are cognitive biases. Um, at least that's the way I've always felt. I mean, I, I've grown up all over the world, um, studied here, and, and you know, I've got a four-year-old. Um, uh, it is quite a challenging space to be in, in terms of sort of work-life balance and um, and sort of um, fo- focusing on 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 sort of taking taking the agenda forward, to so to speak. But what I have observed, as I see it, at least in Ofgem, um, a, lo- a lot more sort of women tend to be in in, Ofgem, in civil service. Um, 
And I've always wondered, Liz, if it is the flexibility factor, which means that you know, somewhere in the private sector, there is a there is a cost that's being experienced because you know more talented women are bartering flexibility for uh, for something that's that's you know just just works out better for work life balance. Um, and so maybe there's a broader point there about um, is is there a conflict between flexibility and really realizing your full potential? Uh, that that bit has always intrigued me. Um, but I think um, I think uh, from a diversity perspective, I often find that there are quite there are still lo- there are quite strong unconscious biases to sort of women being in this space. Um, and I, I remember I used to have a boss in uh, in one of my previous jobs who would always describe consumer policy as soft stuff. And I used to think, why why would you do that? Because it's such a challenging area. It, it, what is it about about consumer policy that's soft? Um, I always felt that maybe there's a bias there that's just seen as as something that's that's almost feminine in a way uh, because of the way it's perceived. I find this to be quite a complex topic uh, in the sense that it is one could discuss the problems endlessly, but when you, one starts talking about uh, where, where does responsibility lie, um, and you know when you're speaking of proactive behaviors, where does, you know, what if there are no proactive behaviors? Does it mean it's all right uh, to let somebody, you know, suffer a bad outcome? What, where where does that... So I'm, I'm quite interested in, in sort of um, cultures within the, the public sector or even in the private sector. I used to work for a consultancy once. Uh, to sort of... To, I think the debate should more happen on the the responsibility framework rather than, well, what is the problem all the time? The need for diversity for the innovative ideas needed for the energy transition is the focus of work regarding the shift to more renewable energy use across the globe. I'm Jenny Stevens. I'm a professor of sustainability science and policy at Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. And um, I have an environmental science and engineering background, but increasingly in my career, I have been more interested and engaged on social and political dimensions of energy system change and how we're responding to climate change. So that is my uh, kind of orientation and background and how I, I have, have come to this work. And particularly in thinking about um, gender diversity in the renewable energy transition, I um, very much have the orientation that energy systems are changing rapidly and um, this, this transformation is, is by definition um, kind of disruptive in a sense and new a lot of, there, so there's some resistance to the changes uh, from organizations and individuals and institutions that are um, benefiting from the current system and, and but they're still ultimately, you know, a lot changing. And when we think about those, that trans, this transformation, I think there's an opportunity to really think about the workforce and how individuals, communities, and households engage with energy. Um, so with, with this disruption and the change comes opportunities for thinking more holistically about energy systems and how they're related to social and cultural change, as well as the technological 
technology, which is the way we think tend to think about energy very technologically. Um, but the um, technological change is very intricately linked with social, political, cultural, and institutional change. So, um, in with that in mind, I guess I, I mean, I've worked on energy system change. I've done work on renewable energy, carbon capture and storage. I've done work on um, smart grid and thinking about grid transformation. Um, and within all this work, increasingly, I've been kind of indirectly paying attention to gender dynamics um, in terms of who's talking about these issues, who's involved as practitioners and who's what kind of research is being done. Um, and I've also um, become aware of kind of the opportunity for broadening the conversations about energy. And um, I particularly, I orient, um, I've been intrigued by this concept of energy democracy, which is really about thinking about how our societal governance and social change can actually be connected to our energy system. So with a more distributed um, energy system, um, we could we also can distribute the power literally and figuratively, right? So, so I kind of connect um, the gender piece in this larger context of thinking about um, energy systems and the, the potential for change in uh, distributing um, the benefits and the risks and negative um, aspects of our energy systems in a more equal uh, distributive way. The multiple societal benefits of more women in the energy workforce and more diversity in general, not just women, um, but other kinds of diversity and many of these, uh, many of the benefits of diversity, you know, obviously connect in, in, in multiple um, identities of, of individuals being involved. Um, so one of the things is that, you know, we have social science research, environmental sociology research that highlights how gender um, differences are apparent in engagement with environmental issues um, in industrialized countries. Um, there's been research that shows that women are more likely than men to express environmental concern and support environmental protection and enact pro-environmental behaviors. So if you think about that and then think about the energy sector, um, you can um, characterize uh, you know, think about benefits of having more women. Um, also, in terms of engaging with communities and households, um, if more pe more women were in the energy sector, uh, they would bring that knowledge and experience of what energy is all about to their communities in different ways that, um, when it, than when it's um, a, a more gendered workforce. Um, we also know that diversity can accelerate innovation. If we're not intentionally um, being more inclusive uh, and we just don't pay attention to uh, diversity or um, who's benefiting, we are inadvertently actually perpetuating inequalities and perpetuating um, uh, exclusion of, of some in, in the, the energy space and in, in energy jobs. Um, so I think it's really important that we uh, collectively pay attention to um, 
who's who's involved, who's engaged, who's benefiting, and who has who is um, being part of the the workforce and, and the jobs. And there's a lot of potential for um, for change, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, in terms of particularly right now when there's um, such a dynamic landscape, I guess, with regard to energy. The need for an explicit focus on ensuring gender diversity is highlighted across the energy sector, both in university through things like Athena Swan and campaigns in the private sector like Powerful Women. In the next section of this episode, we hear reflections from women in energy on their observations of the energy sector as it is today and the efforts to change to be more diverse. We'll be hearing from two Alisons from the energy sector and from two Catherines from academia. Hi, yes, I'm Alison Seabrook. I am working with radioactive waste management um, on a sort of an interim basis to advise on their community engagement strategy. uh, And that relates to public policy around uh, developing a geological disposal facility. Coming into the, the sector um, and going into radioactive waste management, I've actually been um, pleasantly surprised about the number of women who are in senior posts in the organisation. So because we are moving to a, a less perceived uh, heavy industrial approach to energy production, you know, we're looking at renewable energy, we're looking at very community-based energy schemes, we and because there is such a focus on women into science, technology, uh, engineering, and maths, then we are looking at a great opportunity to use these infrastructure programs and the women within them to go and disseminate that information and be act as role models to young young women coming through. One of my participants was reflecting on um, something that she hears a lot is that there's still a reliance at the top of um, energy organisations on an assumption that you need an engineering background to be um, in a senior management or board position, even if the the role technically doesn't actually um, require um, an engineering qualification or background. I I think this is more generic across um, recruitment practices, not just within energy industries, many, many professions. Some of the soft skills that clearly women do bring, that doesn't mean all women bring them. There are some very, (laughs) very focused technical um, people out there. But the, the, the thing I found in sort of 11 years as a chief executive of a national organization when you look at uh, so so within the so, more of the social sector that I've worked in um, previously, you will find that there are many women uh, who are working at senior roles within it. Although actually, it's not as diverse as you might think at the top. Most of my peers were men, um, but the. In terms of leading organizations or sitting on boards or in a senior management position, the skills that you should need are very much related to the outcomes of that job. So if you need program management skills, if you need good, you know, your leadership skills are around uh, coalescing teams and collaboration, they might require a different set of skills than you might have had with a traditional engineering background. So I would always say this is about aptitude and attitude and recruit to that. To reflect on her experience, here's Alison Chappell from the energy company RWE. 
interestingly, um, we've been doing some retrospective work here in RWE over the past few months because it's coming up to 10 years since the Senior Women's Network was founded, something that I actually kicked off when I was doing my uh, two-year-old as diversity officer for the group. Um, and I actually managed to dig out the uh, some of the um, kind of early material that I collated when first starting that network, the interviews, some of the interviews I did with the few senior women we had in the organization back then, and also some of the statistics. And on the one hand, the statistics show positive developments, not as fast as 10 years ago, but nonetheless, the general trend is positive, more women moving through management levels, um, taking up more senior positions, and particularly actually in Germany recently, some really um, strong efforts going into finding good female candidates and filling board positions, partly because of uh, issues around having quotas and, and things like that and wanting to be shown to be proactive. On the other hand, on the negative side, when I look back at the list of senior women who supported me in that first diversity role, who gave me a lot of input and a lot of wise advice, only a fraction of them are still in the business. And I know that in most cases, they have moved out because of their frustration around lack of opportunity, not being taken seriously, um, not feeling, feeling that they're not given equal chances alongside men in, in the really big promotion decisions, um, where still appointing a woman uh, is seen as a risk for some reason. Um, and I think that is one of the factors that really holds back women, in, particularly in the more kind of conventional energy, coal, oil, gas uh, parts of the energy sector. I was just going to ask, um, is, is there ever been any kind of articulation around what that risk is or might be? One factor is that typically the women who come into contention for the very senior roles in that area have often come from a non-engineering background related like project management or um, you know commercial procurement type roles but they're not seen as having the solid engineering background which um, is, is often expected um, so if they are successful at all it's in the specialized support roles like finance and HR and there comes a natural limit for progression in many of those areas um, you know if you look at the board makeup of many companies um, whilst you might have somebody with, with the title marketing director for example or HR director quite often those aren't executive board roles um, you know, their directorships at, at a level below the main board of the organization so if you look at the pure statistics you might say that at the level below main board that that company has, has a reasonable representation of women and, and the proportion is increasing but the fact is that a woman who is the director of communications is probably never going to make it onto the executive board because there isn't an executive role um, for somebody who's only ever worked in communications or has maybe worked in communications and other 
related support functions. There is still no transparency about many senior roles. They're not advertised. They are you know, given to the person who is felt to be most suitable for reasons which are never made fully transparent. But we're assured that you know, it was the right decision uh, at that point in time. And, and of course, the, the people who made the selection choice did try very hard to find diverse candidates. But um, for whatever reason, they seem to have appointed the person most similar to the one who just vacated the job. Um, so a lot... My and this is this is a very personal viewpoint is that I think my company, in common with a lot of others, um, still goes down the line of least resistance when it comes to implementing measures to improve diversity. Um, so they don't do the things that might be seen to be difficult or might require or might cause aggravation in other communities. And there is still a very strong focus on HR doing things rather than the business as a whole changing the way it does things. And also on measures which are supposed to, if you like, improve women um, rather than measures to change the business. So... I think if, if if you unpicked a lot of what we do, certainly on gender diversity, you could put it in a category which is helping women to solve their problems rather than helping the business to solve its problems regarding gender. Several of the participants in this podcast have reflected of the importance of gender diversity on boards. In the next section, Alison Chappell reflects on her experience being on the board of Alexon. It's a slightly strange board because it, it's a not-for-profit business and as you know from your background, it's paid for by all the bodies who, who um, subscribe to the balancing and settlement code. In other words, who are involved in, in balancing and settlement processes. And was there a, a policy decision at some point to specifically seek a, gen, a gender-balanced board or did it emerge organically? It emerged organically. Um, I think at the time I joined the board, there was already one other female board member who, however, stood down on the ground of having served as long as she possibly could, not long after. But she was then replaced by another woman. Um, and we then kind of took over the nominations committee largely uh, which meant that for all the recruitment, all the senior recruitment processes since for board and for CEO role, um, both of us having had not just a you know sort of passing interest, but actually a professional interest in diversity, we've made very sure that we follow good practice on on diversity recruitment. So yeah, we're very proud of the fact it's a gender balanced board, and it definitely does have an impact. In the next section, we'll be hearing from two academics in the energy field, Professor Catherine Mitchell and Professor Catherine Wadhams. I'm Catherine Wadhams and I'm a professor in the business school and I'm also a member of the Centre for Competition Policy. So can I first ask you of the, the changes that you've seen over the course of your career in terms of um, gender balance um, in 
energy and also in academia? Yes, I think it's improved. Inevitably, I think energy has had an engineering background, which traditionally has been male, and a lot of the leadership are still male. Um, but it is getting better, not quite quickly enough, I would say, though uh, one would always want the best people to be available. Uh, it's just to make sure that we're not missing uh, a huge group of people who would make valuable contributions, wh whether that's women or whether that's people in other circumstances. I still notice in energy, it's not as good a gender balance as in academia more generally now. And I think among the uh, newer academics, we do see much more of a balance. I hope that leads to more senior uh, female academics in the future. The value to the institution of having gender balance is that precisely as you say, you get different perspectives, but you can get those in other ways as well. And it's important that you look for balance by consulting people who, for example, do not just have the same middle class background uh, or the same educational background or the same financial circumstances. So I think I'd be hopeful that those innovative ideas you've looked for and you've celebrated have come not just from women, but from a diversity of of people contributing to the debate. So I think the important thing is to hold the debate open to make sure that we enable people to say what their ideas are, whatever their background, and then be humble enough to listen to what they say and to assess it. So I'm Catherine Mitchell. Uh, I'm a professor of energy policy at the University of Exeter. I run the energy policy group and a subsection of the energy policy group um, works on a project called Innovation and Governance. To work in energy as an academic, you are both in the energy world, which is very kind of uh, male dominated, and um, then within academia, it's also very male dominated. The problem for academia now with women is that it's getting harder. So when I started out, although I think it was more kind of overtly sexist in some ways, there, there weren't kind of rules about who can put in applications for something. So I did my PhD and put in two European Commission projects and got both of them, one of which I was leading. Um, nowadays, that, that simply wouldn't be allowed. You, you have to go through a PI um, and you would you would have to be uh, have a university post, which I didn't at all have at the time. It's all becoming much more sort of centralist around PIs, which you know are still mainly men. So it's very difficult for anyone to break it through, men or women, generally. Um, but because of that, it means that if women, even if they have you know wonderful partners. Uh, just simply by taking time off to have uh, babies, find themselves in a situation where when a job comes up, the person who's going to get that job will be the person who's got the money, written the papers and got the impact. And getting impact is, is on the whole going away somewhere to talk to somebody and being seen somewhere. And that, you know, 
that that is, that if you it, however competitive you might be as a woman you you and whatever you're prepared to do it will still be harder for you if you have a family and and if you are the kind of woman who doesn't want to do that uh, and wants and is bright look I'm a bright person why can't I have my own why can't I have a good career as an academic and have children and have life uh, it is definitely much harder. Have you seen any like amazingly good examples or even just incrementally better examples of kind of in other countries or? I went to do a um, a six month uh, visiting professorship at the Free University in Berlin through a uh, five year cross Germany energy transition project. And that project had money for 10 uh, visiting professorships for six months each across all these various universities. And the universities bid in with people to, uh, you know, pay, uh, you know, the travel expenses in an apartment, basically. And when I turned up there, I discovered that there were six women professors in the politics department, the energy politics department. So I went out to dinner with five, with six other women professors. I scarcely know six women professors. One of the key ideas in this podcast has been the importance of diversity, whether gender or on other factors, in the energy transition linked to innovative ideas. Yes. So what what it's been it's it's very interesting to me. Uh, that as the um, energy system has become more decarbonized and uh, as these sort of transactive energy platforms are developing, uh, that um, I'm starting to see a lot more younger women uh, come in to energy to start up and be part of these new um, uh, ventures, uh, largely on the kind of edges of the main energy system. So so what, what I think is really, really interesting is that the energy system is basically carrying on um, to a very large degree, as it always has done with its governance and with the money to make the money to make to make money doing the same thing so they do the same things and in that world it's uh there are you know there's some women but there's very few women uh even in the midlands kind of top areas people kind of drop out and it's very kind of safe and it's uh very uh conventional and very kind of cautious and uh I think very lacking creativity or, uh, you know, it's just a sort of like an acceptance. And then you, you um, but most of the value is there. And then as, I, as I've been sort of saying, there is all this future energy system, which is what we're working on at the moment, which is sort of around the edges of that. And this is globally as well as in Britain, where there are all these really interesting new things happening, new ways of doing things, new arguments about, ownership and customer uh, importance and so forth and it, it's in that world where these women are and 
they are coming from all sorts of uh, backgrounds. So there's a lot of women who have worked in the big energy companies who don't want to continue to work in those companies and have moved out. There are those who uh, aren't necessarily energy people, but um, come from IT or come from the city or, uh, you know, there's, there's a much wider diversity of the women themselves. So it's not just a sort of either, either economists or engineers. And it's, uh, it's altogether much more creative um, and clever than the old system. Uh, and I have, I have, you know, it's as somebody who's had to, you know, live in this male grey world for so long. It has just been fabulous for me to see that development. Over the course of this podcast, we've covered a great deal of ground. To sum up, here's Sharon from Sustainability First again. I'd say more broadly in the governance space, groupthink is a real risk on boards, and we saw that in the financial crisis. Again, it's not just about gender diversity on boards, it's about diversity full stop on boards. We need to ensure that energy companies have a wider range of talent around the table so that a wider range of perspectives um, are represented in the decision-making of organisations. And there have been improvements, but there's a long way to go. And I think women have tremendous skills, as I've said, in the commercial sphere, but also in the communications sphere um, and in the customer relationship management sphere. If we're looking at our energy sector to be far more influenced by customers, demand management, um, behavioural change, if we recognise that there's a need to change the culture of the industry, women absolutely have to be around the table. There's been some improvement, but not enough. And I think in energy and in the energy transition, it's really important because what we're looking at is moving from a pure engineering world to a, an engineering sort of commercial world. So being able to uh, advise and think across different disciplines, different domains, and to join up technical solutions with commercial solutions and women have all sorts of fantastic skills and experience there. There might not be as many fantastic women engineers out there, but there are definitely some. But there's loads of women. There's a massive pool of talent in the commercial world. And I think drawing that into the energy sector has got to be a good thing. These podcasts were made with the assistance of students on the Humanities Foundation Year Media Technologies module, namely Anna Wormald, Poppy Frost, Evie Howarth and Simone Chalkley. They were recorded in the studio in the Humanities Media Centre at UEA by Stephen Bennett, lecturer in Humanities, in the Interdisciplinary Institute for the Humanities at the University of East Anglia in Norwich.